Ronananians. What's the car doctor like? One of the things Ron has over the other guys on radio is he's an ASE certified master tech, and he's still working on cars at his age. If you got a problem, don't care what it is. If you need a hand, I can assure you this. I can help. I got two strong arms. I can help. It would sure do me good. The Car Doctor. I'm here to answer your questions, and that's what this radio show is all about, bottom line. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at your service. 855-560-9900. Let's say hello and welcome them right out of the gate. WLKF Lakeland, Florida, and everybody in that listenership area. We appreciate you becoming members of the Car Doctor family, and we're glad to be here with you each and every week to talk to you about your car problems, whatever you've got going on. You and everybody else can pick up the phone and give us a call at 855-560-9900. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at your service. Answer all your car care questions. Talk to you about what's going on and keeping you safe and even out on the roads today. More information about this radio show, yep, cardoctorshow.com. Affiliate links or links there, I'm sorry, for tunein.com, iHeart, iTunes.com, also up on Google Play. We did fix that problem. There was a Google problem. Uh, you want to see magic? Watch my chief engineer straighten out Google, which he did this week. And he's got that rolling along. He's got the Google Play podcasting working as well. And we're just here ready to answer your questions at 855-560-9900. If you need me during the week, ron at cardoctorshow.com. And the reason I give you that email is, well, let me talk to you a little bit, and then you'll understand why, because I want to hear from you on this subject. I had breakfast yesterday. Um, This radio show, as you know, is is Saturday. We're live Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time. And I should point out also that the 855-560-9900 number, leave a message if we're not there because we're, we're live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, as I said. You can leave a message fast. Harry, our executive producer, will call you back and get you in the queue. I have breakfast on Friday mornings with the group, you know, the mechanics, the guys. And, you know, if you're from Jersey, it's a Jer- I think it's a Jersey thing. Maybe it's a New York thing, too. But everybody in New York, New Jersey, we've always got a guy, all right? I've got a guy I sit down with on breakfast on Friday that he's got a guy. His guy is a big guy in in the sense that he's got a government position. I won't say where. He works in Washington. And the subject came up recently about auto repair and self-driving cars. And I have to tell you, it, it, it kind of tickled my funny bone a little bit, not in a good way. Supposedly... The, the ambition of the government, and a lot of this starts to make sense to me now, the ambition of the government is sometime in the next seven to eight years to have self-driving cars on the road by overwhelming popularity. And by that, I mean approximately 75 to 80 percent, which is what they're telling us they'd like to do. That's from my guy to his guy. The rationale for this self-driving cars is they're trying to take They're trying to eliminate accidents. They're trying to take you out from behind the wheel because you caused the accident. You get emotional, road rage. You're not thinking. You're texting. You're not driving properly. And he proceeded to tell me stories about it. It was demonstrated to him that, you know, as we go through on-ramps and off-ramps and we all wait turns for cars and yield, all that's going to be gone. 
They're expecting cars to just keep traffic moving at at 30, 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, as they, they're smart enough to know who to bump into or who not to bump into and to keep traffic flowing. And I said, no, it can't be. There's just there's just no way that can happen. And the, the debate went back and forth also how they're expecting over a billion-dollar change in the economy. See, it always comes back to dollars. And they're expecting a billion-dollar change in the economy as there's less body shops because there'll be less need. And here's the kicker. They've already got it figured out that if they can get people to have less accidents, and this is why they're pushing for self-driving cars or one of the reasons, less accidents, less lawsuits, less insurance claims. So you've really got to wonder, and I can't say where my source works, but let's just say he's pretty darn high up. And it really made me scratch my head, and I thought I would ask you this question. And I might talk to each and every one of you this hour, next hour. Um, how do you feel about self-driving cars? Would you own a self-driving car if you were forced to take one? And you may be forced. It can be as simple as we're not making parts for a 2014 Toyota, Ford, GM, Chrysler, whatever anymore. And I sat last night thinking, no, it can't be. It just, I just can't see it. You know, sometimes the universe knows when I'm upset. I got a couple of emails, and both of them sent me the same article. Farmers fight for the right to repair their own tractors. This came to us from Modern Farmer magazine. The article starts out, You think that when something feels slightly off with a six-cylinder John Deere 6145R tractor at 530 in the morning, one of the most qualified people to perform a quick fix would be the same person who operates that piece of expensive farm equipment on a daily basis. After all, farmers have traditionally acted as their own mechanics. And that makes sense, right? The guy's out in the middle of the field, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. He's trying to get his crops going. If, that, if it's an issue that can't be properly diagnosed to correctors, see, look at this. Farmers must be from New Jersey. Many farmers have a guy who will get the job done. See, everybody's got a guy. That's just the way it is. In a previous era, a visit to the dealership was viewed largely as a last resort. Here's the but. But... Since 1998, the year of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and I looked this up, this does exist, the DMCA, made the life of hardworking farmers all the more complicators, the owners of tractors, sprayers, harvesters, combines, loaders, balers, and all sorts of other agricultural machinery, have been legally prohibited from embarking on their own repairs or enlisting independent mechanics to get the job done. Want to know why? Modern Farmer explained it. They said the reason for this is simple. Manufacturers of farming equipment, namely John Deere, do not consider farmers to be the true owners of said equipment. Rather, farmers have purchased an implied license for the life of the vehicle to operate the vehicle. And essentially, the article continues, due to digital copyright laws, they aim to protect the intellectual intellectual property of the sophisticated, sophisticated software integrated into modern farming machinery. What that means is, What we've been talking about here on The Car Doctor, where the car companies are saying, you don't really buy the car anymore. You're buying the right to operate the vehicle and its software. A couple of weeks ago, we heard from our good friend Steve Cook in Cincinnati, our our senior instructor and reporter at large out there. And Steve had called in talking to us about how he attended a seminar recently that the car companies are going to go to a Bluetooth scan tool technology to connect scan tools by Bluetooth, no more plug-in under the dash. And what that's going to do is, if you're not licensed, if your scan tool is not licensed to operate that 
and work on that vehicle, nobody can work on it. Now, maybe you're not so upset you're not doing hardcore diagnosis. What if they decide that the oil light reset is now part of scan tool technology? So in order to change the oil on the car, you're going to have to be able to connect to that car with a scan tool to reset that idiot light. The implications are pretty far-reaching. I think they've got to go a stretch to pull it off, but they've already done it with the farmers. How much harder would it be for them to do it with the car companies? It's just, you know what? I want you to hear it from me. I want you to be aware of it, that it's on their agenda. They're trying to take control of the car. As I said to the boys before we started the show today, I said, I don't like it for a lot of reasons. My biggest is I get behind the wheel of a car. I want to drive the car. Now, watch Tesla in the coming years because it was it was told to me by more than one source Tesla has been given quite a bit of a green light, and it kind of explains why the media tries to always put Tesla in a favorable position from what I see. Yeah, they've had their mistakes, but they they always try to, you know, make it sound like it's a good thing. And I'm not saying it isn't, because Tesla, the government says, is really close to perfecting their software. They're about two years away, and once they do, you're going to see more self-driving cars come out and less chance to repair the one that you currently own. Boy, I can't imagine it's coming, but nobody would have ever told me they couldn't fix a farm tractor in the middle of a cornfield at 5 in the morning either. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor at 855-560-9900. When you call in today, get ready for the question. Self-driving cars, yes or no? I need an answer. I need it in about 30 seconds from you because uh, we're going to move the show along. Just something to be aware of. A lot going on in the next two hours. We're going to talk a little bit about the repair of the week next hour about how Ford took a simple airbag repair operation from 30 fault codes and gave each fault code a sub-index of anywhere from 18 to 32 fault codes, meaning now there are over 400 possible fault codes for an airbag system on your average Ford product, making the repair process that much more complicated. We're going to talk about that next hour. We're going to be giving away a Wix diecast car this hour. Has anybody seen the diecast car? Tony, you didn't take it, did you? Tony doesn't have it. Tom has it. Tom. Stop playing with the 39 Ford, the diecast car. Yeah, it's uh, no, Harry's not Harry's not playing with the car. The last time he played with it, he broke it, so he can't do that. And we're going to talk a little bit about calamitous failure, a little bit about low-tension oil rings and how to avoid that, and some of the issues that come about with some of the modern cars and the technology that's incorporated into them and what that's all about. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. We'll return right after this to kick the garage doors open. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Ron and Annie, the car doctor, rolling along at 855-560-9900. The car doctor's 24-7 phone number. Give us a call if we're not on the air. Leave a message. Fast Harry, our executive producer, will call you back. Let's get over and talk to Frank as we kick the garage doors open this hour today. Staten Island, New York, with a 2009 Honda CRV. Frank, welcome to the car doctor, sir. How can I help? Thank you. Thanks for taking my call. Yes. Uh, about a couple of months ago, I started noticing on the on the console... Uh, notice, uh, check my gas cap. So I researched it, and it says, well, sometimes it's not on properly. I took it off and let it go a couple of cycles. But the message kept coming up. 
I even asked the de uh, the uh, dealer when I brought it in for service to take a look at this. I didn't see anything wrong with it. It still kept happening. I ultimately replaced the cap. It's still happening, and I'm not sure what the next step is. Okay. The gas cap light on that particular car, and a lot of cars, is really the first stage of failure in an EVAP system. Um, part of the problem is you're, you're, in the, you're in the marketing department's loop, Frank. You're not in anybody's loop to really repair the car. You know, the marketing department sat there at car companies, Honda, GM does it, Ford does it, that will, they don't like people to see check engine lights on because it makes you feel like the car is broken all the time. So sometimes when a gas attendant leaves the cap loose, instead of turning on the check engine light, they're going to turn on the check gas cap light. And the rationale is that you'll get out, turn the cap, and within a short cycle, a shorter cycle than what it takes to reset the check engine light, that gas cap circuit will be checked and turn off the check gas cap light. It doesn't always work like that. What's, what's very common on the Hondas is either the purge control or the canister vent valve are not working properly. And they tend to stick, they'll act up, they'll create a low-level leak, which comes across as a gas cap failure, and then it will turn into a check engine light with typically a P0455, uh, you know, or a P0497 um, uh, purge flow, something like that. What, what someone really should do, if the light is on right now, is the light still on? No, the last time I filled up with gas, I was waiting for it to come on, and it hasn't happened yet. So, okay. so far, about a week or so without it coming on. The, the next time it comes on, someone should scan this for codes. Has anybody done that yet? Are there any fault codes in this car? Well, uh, no, I don't see any. I mean, when it comes on, I just press the button to, re, to get yeah. back no, to no, the no. odometer. Forget, forget, forget the light. The next, time, the next time the check gas cap light comes on, have someone run and test for pending fault codes. And those are codes that are about to set and turn into a check engine light because that's what it'll do. It'll set a pending fault. It's like you. When you get sick, all right, if, if you yeah. start to get the sniffles on Monday, what is it, Tuesday or Wednesday before you start sneezing and Thursday before you get the headache and the flu, right? Right. There, there, it, it takes you a while. There's, there's pending faults that have to occur. Car does the same thing. The only difference now is... Instead of waiting for it to become a check engine light and a hard code failure, now, whenever they detect even the slightest bit of an issue, they illuminate what they call a check engine, a check gas cap light. I'm sorry, a check gas cap light. And that gets you looking at maybe it's the gas cap, maybe it's not the car that's always breaking. They're, they're trying to shift the mindset away from the car is broken to maybe the gas cap is loose because the attendant didn't put it on properly. And sometimes it is, but... A lot of times it's not, and that's your situation. So now a diagnosis has to be begun. So the best bet here is to have them uh, look for a, uh, some sort of uh, EVAP system check or right. something like I that? Would, I would at least, if you're getting a continuous gas cap fault error message, I would at least run a, a code scan expecting to find evaporative emission fault codes impending are about to happen. And take a look at that. If you see no fault codes and you want to get into it deeper, which I would encourage you to, I would find somebody that can read Mode 6 diagnostics. In other words, look at the machine language inside the scan tool behind the scene. Look at the Mode 6 tests. They're going to show you a marginal situation. At least then you'll know what's failing and have a direction to go look, whether it's vent, purge, and so on. 
but there's a fault there. There's a problem here. The reason the dealer told you there's nothing wrong, I guarantee you nobody plugged the scan tool in. Got you. Okay. All right, and the reason they didn't plug a scan tool in is because you didn't say, go ahead, I'll pay you to plug a scan tool in. Unfortunately, that's the first step in the diagnosis. Okay, thanks a lot for your help, Brian. You're welcome, Frank. If you need more, you know where to find it. Take good care. Let's get over and talk to Frank also, Congress, New York. Frank, how are you, sir? What's going on? Hey, guys, how you doing? Good. Great, great. A um, couple things. Uh, it, that's exactly a good point, you know, that if, if they plug it in, they want their payment. Right. Same thing talking about uh, self-driving cars. When I get in the car, I want to hold that steering wheel. Well, I want to drive that car. Would you? Tr- I want to be in control. Would you trust a self-driving you know? car, Frank? Excuse me? Would you trust a self-driving car? No, not at all. I couldn't do it. And what are you going to do? do it. What, what are they going to do if they tell you you can't get parts for your car anymore and you've got to take one? <laughs> I'll, I'll pull one out of the back of the house. <laughs> Just saying. But Just another point here. Go ahead. With, the, with the weather, listen, I got I got the gift. I got the uh, car. Thank you very much. You guys are great. I'm wearing the shirt. Saturday's car doctor day. My wife goes, who is this fella? Mm. I got to meet him. Oh, boy. I said, oh, maybe one day. But anyway, um, we got this extreme heat. What can we tell the people? What do we got to look for on today about our cars? What are some of the signs? What should be done? Maybe explain to people so they don't break down on the road and we get trapped and so forth. What great, do you think? Great question. I think I think the first thing people need to do is before they start out anywhere over the course of the next three or four days, and you know this is most of the country is under a heat dome, as they say now, and right. uh, we're all faced with some really oppressive heat for the next four or five days. And I think one of the first things you want to do is when you get in the car, look in the upper left corner of the windshield if you've got an oil change sticker there. When was it changed last? Is it overdue? I would say that as I get into new customers' vehicles during the course of the week, I'm going to tell you that over 70% of the time, those oil change stickers are way overdue. And oil is very critical to keeping that car happy, especially in hot weather like we're experiencing Uh, One of the cautions I want to point out is that if the car does get stuck, if the car does overheat, don't be, try to be a hero. Don't get out, pop the hood when there's steam, or don't get out and pop the hood when the car's overheating until you've waited at least 20 to 30 minutes somewhere safe off the side of the road. Don't stand outside the car and wait before you pop that hood because a radiator hose in this temperature and heat can burst, causing some really serious damage. Frank, I appreciate the call and the conversation and the concern. My best to you and yours. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Ron Anini and the Car Doctor, 855-560-9900 is the Car Doctor 24-7 phone number. That's 855-560-9900. Give us a call. Leave a message if we're not on the air. We're here Saturday afternoons live, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, Fast Harry, our producer, will call you back and put you in the lineup for the next live broadcast. Let's get over to line one. Talk to Jerome out of Avon Park and uh, 2011 Toyota Camry. Hey, Jerome, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. How can I help? Oh, good afternoon. Yes, sir. I have, of course, I've got the Camry, and it's got 90,000 miles on it. Okay. And my question is, when do I change the transmission fluid? Because there's not much in the manual that tells me when it should be done. 
What, what is your experience? Well, real world experience, and I've only I've only been repairing cars for forty three years, so I'm kind of trying to decide what I want to be when I grow up. And <laughs> and based on that, I'm going to tell you what we see in the shop, real world. What I also see the dealers around us doing, real world, is that is Toyota WS fluid, world class, world spec fluid. They call it. And that fluid typically typically gets changed in the fifty to sixty thousand mile range. Now I know some people that say, "Oh no, it's lifetime fluid." That's what Toyota rates it for. Yeah, that's right. It's lifetime fluid until the trans blows up, and then that's its lifetime. And then you have to put a new trans in the car. Uh, you know, I don't think there's any situation in a vehicle today that any fluid can truly be considered lifetime, other than window washer fluid, as long as you don't use it. So that being said, I would tell you it should have been done in the fifty to 60,000-mile percentile. You're at 90. I would tell you to do it now if you're planning to keep the car. It's most likely going to be a no-dipstick transmission, meaning the shop has to do it through a manufacturer-specific procedure with regard to how hot coolant, how hard trans temp is. There's a concern about that fluid temperature in order to get an accurate reading. But... Um, by all means, get it changed. It's just normal. You know, one of the things I run into all day long is uh, marketing departments. A marketing department wants you to buy a car. They're not there to help tell you to take care of a car. And the fact is that most marketing departments today, it's, it's all about sales. It's all about, you know, selling product and not admitting they had a problem. About two years ago, we had a call from a, a listener in Connecticut. I never forgot this. And they were having a problem with their Honda and a thermostat and temperature, engine temperature coming up, and we were talking about it. Do you know I got a phone call from American Honda out in Torrance, California, that they didn't like the fact that we were talking bad about Honda? Somebody was listening to the show, and they didn't like the because Honda doesn't make mistakes, and it's, it's, it's an impact on their marketing. And I was stunned by that, that they take that kind of an attitude. You know, I know cars are getting better, Jerome, and I know that there's a lot of things that they don't need that they once did, but regular fluids, filters where possible, regular maintenance, common sense is still the order of the day. So I would tell you at this mileage, it's changed the trans fluid. Your coolant, have you ever put coolant in this car, ever change it? Oh, yeah, it's been changed at... Sixty thousand. Right, and and the funny thing is that's five year, hundred and five thousand mile coolant. So what possessed them to change that and not the trans fluid? It doesn't make any sense. And and it's great right, that they changed right. it. I have no problem changing something a little early. I have no problem at all whatsoever. The twenty percent rule is how I live. You know, most of my day that I look at it and say if it's if it's got twenty percent to go, now's a good time to start thinking about it. But you know, trans fluid coolant's done. Did you ever change brake fluid in this car? Uh, nope. Okay. Time Never for, have. Time to change brake fluid. They haven't, they haven't, nobody really talks about that. But the majority of cars, all the European cars, as a matter of fact, talk about brake fluid flushes in most cases every two years because of the fact that brake fluid absorbs moisture and that moisture displaces the hydraulic effect that brake can have in terms of making them work effectively. So you should flush the brake fluid. And it's never too late. Start a regular series every. 18 months every 24 months of a fuel injection cleaning. Top-end fuel injection cleaning, carbon cleaning, however you want to call it. One of the issues plaguing today's engines, and I believe your Toyota is in that mix, is the issue with low-tension 
piston rings. They use a low-tension piston ring on a lot of engines today in order to increase fuel economy. And what ends up happening is carbon deposits from gasoline still form, cause the rings to start to stick, and then they've extended the oil change interval to these ridiculous amounts, in my opinion, based on what I see in the shop. And those people become prime candidates for oil consumption, and at that point, it's over. It's time to either rebuild the engine or replace the vehicle. Just some normal maintenance on what it's going to need at 90,000 miles. All right, sir? Very interesting. Thank you very much. You're very welcome, sir. Good luck to you and yours, and uh, you give us a call. You need anything else. Let's go and talk to Paul out in Chesapeake, Virginia. Some questions about gasoline. Paul, welcome to the car doctor, sir. Yeah, thank you, Ron, for taking my question. You're welcome. Uh, two two weeks ago, I was uh, talking with some associates of mine, and uh, we were talking about gasoline. I've got a 99 GMC Sierra, and uh, I've burned premium gasoline in it the whole time. And uh, I said, you guys ought to try that. And they they informed me that Ford says that they can only run 87 octane gasoline and only that gasoline. I don't know why. Yeah. Do they have that in writing? Uh, they say it's in the manual. Really? All yeah, of all, Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it myself. I, I Like I said, I checked my uh, GM manual, and it says burn regular unleaded gasoline, 87 octane or higher. But they and they, they said they were told by uh, dealers also. Uh, I'm sorry, Ron. That's all right, babe. You know, is that uh, the is that the dealer uh, that, is that the uh, dealer that's selling them the car? Paul, is that the dealer yeah. is that the dealer that's selling them the car? The dog likes the car doctor. What can I say? Is that the dealer that's selling them the car that doesn't want to talk about increased costs? Of course, he's going to tell them to run cheaper gasoline in it. Listen, it's it, it comes back to a little bit of common sense once again. You know. Part of what's wrong with the country is common sense isn't so common anymore, and we say that every day. 87 octane is a good base point. But the fact is, for the next year or two, until EPA has their way and eliminates detergents from gasoline, you're going to see a benefit from using a higher octane fuel because of the detergent additives that are in them. Certain gasolines like BP. BP has some great detergent additives in it that really do make a difference over the life of the vehicle. Let me ask you a question. You've been running, you've been running high testing your 99. What sort of major repairs have you had? Any, None. Any, I've got 210,000 miles. On. Any oil consumption issues? No oil consumption, and uh, the tailpipe is clean. And, and what sort of oil change intervals have you been running? Uh 3,000 miles because okay. I've, I've used conventional oil. So, so my my gosh, God forbid, you've been using and doing what? Maintenance? And you got 210,000 miles out of the car. You know? Yeah. That's almost un-American. I don't think you're supposed to do that anymore. I think you're supposed to throw the car away at 100,000 miles and say it's a piece of junk. There's nothing more to do with it. and Just go buy another car. You're not supporting well, the economy. Well, that, that's what I was wondering, whether they were trying to pull, pull the wool over their eyes or wow. what. I wasn't sure. You know, I, I, I think they are, and I think that, you know, the better grade of gasoline is a benefit, at least for the time being. Hey, Paul, before I let you go, self-driving cars, would you own one? Uh, no. Why not? I, I, like, I like driving it myself. And what are you going to do if in eight years, what are you going to do if in eight years they just don't make parts for that 99 GMC anymore and you can't, you can't fix it? I'm going to cry. And, and, you know, it's, it's uh, 
You know what's sad is the self-driving car takes away some of the civil liberties that the kids today will never realize what, what they're losing, the ability to just get in a car and go where they want without anybody tracking where they are. And yeah. um, it's it's going to be a heck of an eight years if it really happens. Paul, I enjoyed the conversation. My best to you and yours. You have a good rest of the afternoon, sir. Same here, Ron. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Good luck. Take good care. I'm Ron Anning, The Car Doctor, 855-560-9900. The Car Doctor's 24-7 number. We'll be right back after this. Don't go away. Hey, welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor rolling along at 855-560-9900. Oh, for the days of a Chevy 409. Boy, did we ever make cars like that? You just look at it and you wonder. Can you imagine having a self-driving Chevy 409? I wonder if you could. That might be an advantage to self-driving cars I haven't thought of. If you had a self-driving, what if you had a self-driving Corvette? And like you could sell pre-programmed driving characteristics that would make acceleration legal. You know, that's another point. If they had self-driving cars, what are they going to do with all the revenue that's not going to exist now from speeding tickets and drunk driving? Not that I'm for drunk driving, but, you know, you start to think about the loss of revenue on one side versus the other. I just I just don't see it working. It's just kind of crazy. But, you know, you got to look at the farm tractors, right? We read the story about the farm tractors a little bit ago about how you can't fix a farm tractor now because you're not licensed to work on it and the software locks you out. So guess what? Cars are going to be the same way. Let's go and talk to Maria. Maria, is that Maria or Maria in Michigan? I'm sorry, 97 Ford half ton with some oil pressure problems. Maria, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Well, thank you for taking my call. You're welcome. I'll say we got a 1997 Ford F-150. The engine size is 4.2. Okay. And we bought it in a state sale. And about a, a year or so after, my grandson was driving it, and the oil pressure dropped real down where it showed no oil pressure. So he had some guy he knew, a mechanic, and put in a new oil pressure. Well, that worked for a few months, and then it started blowing the uh, oil filter rubber. You know, all the oil would gush out the oil filter. Okay. Okay, I called the Ford garage here, and they said they never heard of it. So... Well, it's we, it sounds like the relief valve inside the engine and the pump um, is is stuck, and it's not. It's building such high oil pressure it can't push the valve open to relieve it. So that's why it's blowing it out around the O-ring of the oil filter itself. How long did this? How long was this truck sitting when you got it out of the estate sale? Any idea? Oh, I I don't know about eight, maybe a few months. Right. I don't know. Right, right. Well, so, anyway. We had a mechanic fix it, and he said it needed a, a intake manifold set, and he put that in there. Right. And and it seemed to work. It didn't blow the oil out. Okay. Well, then a, a few weeks later, it uh, the oil pressure went down again, and uh, my husband left it at our son's house. And he took it to have it diagnosed, and them guys told us 
that that engine was real bad, that they only made it for a year or so, and it wasn't worth fixing. And what I wanted to know, if it was worth fixing or not, because... Well, so you, first of all, they you, made that engine for the better part of five years. Did they? Yeah, it's it's not that terrible of an engine. It okay. it, it didn't, it wasn't real well for lack of maintenance. If it wasn't maintained well, it didn't stand abuse um, yeah. uh, greatly. Not that any engine does, but that was one of the weaker characteristics of that engine. Uh, my first question is, or my first comment is, somebody needs to diagnose this. And the first thing I would do is take the oil pressure sender out, screw in a mechanical gauge, and see what the true mechanical oil pressure is and make a decision from there. If this has sat for any length of time, and there's some unknowns here, we could have a problem in the oil pump. We could have a restricted or clogged oil pump screen. We could have problems inside the engine. But, you know, listen, what it really comes down to is how bad do you need the truck? If if replacing the engine for conversation's sake is $3,000, but replacing the truck is 15000 to 20000 used, 30000 for something new, I say replace the engine if the body's in good enough condition, and at least then you've got a simpler vehicle to deal with, and it's it's a matter of economics at that stage. So, But, you know, first thing I would want someone to do here, absolutely, is screw a mechanical gauge in, see what mechanical oil pressure is. That engine should develop 40 to 120 pounds of pressure at around 2,500 RPM. Keep in mind that that gauge on the dashboard is really useless in a sense because it, it, it'll read mid-scale when the engine has a little bit more than 6 pounds, 6 PSI. And as soon as it drops below 6 PSI, the gauge goes to zero. So it had the accuracy of not much. All right. So, um, uh, you know, I would tell you don't count on the dashboard gauge. Trust a mechanical gauge as far as um, what I want to make sure is working here for oil pressure. Do that test and then give me a call back, Marie, and we can kind of talk and go from there. 855-560-9900. The car doctor's coming back. Don't go away. Round, round, get around. I get around. Yeah, get around. Round, round, I get around. Welcome back. Ron Nini and the Car Doctor. Glad to have been with you this hour. If you need any questions answered now or to the next hour, there's another hour of Car Doctor and coming up after the news at the top of the hour on most of these affiliates. You can give us a call at 855-560-9900. I just want to look back a little bit at where we just were. You know, for Marie, who called in from Michigan with the oil pressure problem on her Ford truck, the 97 F-150, uh, some comments, one last comment and thought. There's the value. There makes the argument and the value in using a good motor oil, right? We talk about changing oil on a regular basis. We talk about using a good oil, uh, like the stuff from the folks at Pennzoil. Uh, more information at Pennzoil, com. And uh, we always make a case about how Pennzoil is one of those oils that helps clean the inside of an engine, prevents oil pressure problems, perhaps in a case like Marie's, where if the engine was scrubbed clean, she wouldn't have sticky, uh, sticky um, uh, relief spring on the oil pump or a clogged screen. I was just thinking about that during the pause for the cause. And one last thought, too. We talked a little bit about low-tension oil rings this hour in terms of cars not getting maintenance 
oil rings sticking, uh, compression rings sticking, piston rings in general sticking. And it kind of came back. I thought the best call this hour was the gentleman with the 99 GMC who had 210,000 miles on his car, did regular oil changes, did regular fuel system cleaning and maintenance, and he's had any major problems with the car. And gee whiz, how could that possibly be? I, um, I look at maintenance and say, that's got to be the key. I'm Ron Anany in the car, Doctor. Till the next time, good mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya. 